Hello and welcome to the Zoom Thesis Podcast. This is episode 50, in which we're covering chapters 3 and 4 from uh, part 4, uh, Home of Book 2, Adulted Rights of the Zone Genesis Trilogy by Octavia E. Butler. My name is Richard Acton, and I'm joined as always in the village of Phoenix this time around by my co-host. Michael Glinka. Hi, everyone. A nice number, 50 episodes. Wow. That's that's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good uh, pretty good number of episodes i know right and like we've we've went through a quiet journey so far but i will leave that mm-hmm. i'll i'll leave the reminiscence about like oh what what journey it was after we finished this book maybe <laughs> <laughs> which is which yeah, isn't yeah, actually far yeah. i mean like we only have a few chapters left um yeah we're getting pretty close so but man like it's it's interesting it's it's uh, interesting um i need to say from from straight off the bat, uh, mm-hmm. my expectations towards Gabe were low, but holy shit, like, man, <laughs> the man okay, knows yeah. how to push, like, how to dig a hole, like, really. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, kind of more or less what I would have expected, to be honest. No, I mean, to be uh, fair, yeah, but like, honestly, it's like, you think you've reached the rock bottom and then here he comes with fucking dynamite. Mm. honestly yeah well let's uh let's get let's into get, that yeah um, let's, as we uh as we get to it so yeah. let's, let's, let's do your uh your chapter three predictions sure so i thought that as akin was working on uh trying to heal tate something would indeed interrupt them but since you know in the chapter they were talking about oh the raids and they're happening and people having guns i thought that maybe it just ill-timed raid taking place and Gabe running in maybe you know like trying to wake them up or something trying to protect them while there's shooting ha- taking place you know but like no no yep no uh no real disruption just just Gabe getting scared I suppose. yeah I mean I understand fear but like holy shit man like you know it's well, anyway, let's let's maybe start to sort of at least give Gabe some ability uh, to defend himself, uh, in spite of our <laughs> hatred towards him. Well, my hate. So just my follow dislike. the instructions, man. Follow yeah. the instructions. So the story of chapter three starts with Gabe, uh, and you know, as Richard said, no raid or anything, um, but him himself interrupting Akin's healing process. Um, and as the book says, in spite of his warning to Gabe, in spite of Tate's reassurance, Gabe came into the room before the healing was complete. Um, he returned only a few hours later because he was afraid for Tate and suspicious of Akin. He, of course, found Akin in a position that resembled uh, resemble a leech. <laughs> I think, in my opinion, this is pretty accurate. And considering that Tate's body's uh, temperature was very low, um, and I think that's most likely the cause by Akin to slow down her metabolism while he is working her. Um, Gabe panicked, mm. thinking she is dying. Yeah, which I mean, I, I can. You know, it's been a few hours. He's they're just lying there, and she's cold. I, I can see why he might get a bit spooked. Yeah, but at the same time, what exactly was he hoping to achieve? <laughs> exactly, knowing very well that. An onkali can poison. So mm-hmm. knowing that uh, he, Akin was connected to Tate, like interrupting mm-hmm. Akin would almost immediately mean that uh, she would 
100% die if, if Akin didn't have the control he had. Yeah. And yeah. and yet that... Uh, yeah, pretty stupid decision, I think. Yeah, that he basically just like punches Akin in the hope of, of getting him to come off in one go. Is uh, like... <laughs> yeah. Uh, fine. Yeah. But um, I thought the, the hypothermia thing was an interesting place to go off on a little bit of a science related tangent. Uh-huh. Um, because uh, it, it's become a bit of a staple of like um, medical dramas, right? There's always the... At some point, there's an episode where they, they cool someone down to do heart surgery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's always... Yeah. Is it heart surgery? Uh, but there's also brain surgery, right? Because if they're like... I think for some for some brain surgeries but yeah. i think the the most um like established mm-hmm. application of extreme cooling in uh-huh. surgical contexts is for um things like aortic dissections okay okay um, and uh, like heart procedures of various types uh-huh. um based on my quick reading <laughs> okay um but uh yeah, it's a, apparently the uh, sort of maximum duration that you can really achieve safely at uh-huh. low temperatures is about 30 to 40 minutes. Okay. Um, and the degree of cooling from between, like, just a little bit below normal body temperature of 35 degrees C all the way down to, like, 10 degrees C. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, depending on how long you want to get that protection for. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty nice review of the subject that we can link yeah absolutely i uh, but the thing is now question is um what about all those if that's the um you know scientifically shown uh levels of cooling down of the body we can achieve what about all those people who decided to um undergo like uh cryostatic you know preservation uh yeah the the cryonic preservation stuff yeah yeah um that's the question yeah that's a bit I mean, it's hard to say uh, in some cases. I I think as far as we know, we can't yet... Well, no one's ever been revived from it, and no one's ever done it with larger organisms than rats and hamsters. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even then, it wasn't, like, uh, frozen-frozen. That was, um, I think, uh, about zero degrees C. Uh And with... Um, ice in between like 10 to 50 percent of the, the the water was was frozen i think okay so that that's i think the the limit to which we've currently pushed that and that mm-hmm. was in the 50s there's actually this there's a great tom scott video uh-huh um called uh i promise the story about microwaves is interesting uh-huh uh which goes a little bit into the history of of cryobiology uh, and talks about the story about the the hamsters and rats mm-hmm. that they were freezing and trying to revive, um, and uh, that that works right. You, you can cool hamsters and rats down to about zero degrees C in like a a, a bowl of antifreeze uh-huh. and then revive them with a pretty good success rate using a microwave. Right. Um, the reason the title's about microwaves is because it wasn't working so well with other sources of heat than microwaves. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, and and there was also effectively before commercial microwaves were invented, so they like used an RAF radar um, and like some <laughs> fine chicken wire mesh 
to make the microwave. <laughs> nice. Good old yeah. times. Uh, trying all but the yeah, weird I stuff. I strongly recommend that. Uh, that video is good. <laughs> but like, mm. so that's the moment, the limit of what uh, we can achieve. But mm. like, I mean, part of the reason for the the problem is uh, one of the key things in doing cooling right, as I understand it. I'm not an expert in cryobiology. Is that you have to cool down rapidly enough that you don't get large ice crystal yeah, formation. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. That's why, for example, when we have tissues, when we want to freeze down, we use liquid nitrogen in, in the labs because mm. um, if you want to preserve the tissue's integrity, you have to do it very, very quick. But then, for example, human body to get to the center of the body, that's you know that's another story. That's the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the sheer thermal mass of organisms larger than about a rat or a hamster means you just can't chill them rapidly enough to avoid that um, problem yeah. of ice crystal formation. Absolutely. And once you have ice crystals forming, then you you know poke holes in the cells and make a whole mess of stuff. Basically, so, what's going to happen is that when they defrost those people who have uh, been uh, frozen, cryopreserved, cryo they're basically going to turn into mush. Yep. Uh, which is basically what happens to like corpses that have been frozen. Right? If if you you know go and unfreeze some Neanderthal from a chunk of ice in Siberia or something, then that's the that's what you end up with. Right? Yep. It's, it gets to mush pretty quick. Uh, so that's uh, yeah, like that's the major barrier to uh, to cryonics is that problem i mean so the there are some people who kind of reckon that the like sufficient information is encoded in the structure that you could like scan the brain of someone who's been they're cryopreserved rather and then like emulate them but um, um it's uh mm, i don't know about that one I'm not sure if in the next hundred years that technology will go far enough to do to do this yet. Yeah, that's that's the long time horizon kind of a deal, I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. Well, depends, you know. Like if uh, you know Disney becomes a ultra corporation owning everything, including countries, maybe they will want to resurrect Walt Disney to um, <laughs> their supreme leader. Apparently that um, apparently that one's apocryphal. Uh, uh, Walt Disney being frozen, but uh, yeah, I know, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Um, just I'm joking, but like, no, just Disney came into my head because you know, it's fun. Yeah, <laughs> just like uh, yeah, we we've woken up Walt Disney. Yes, our supreme leader has something to say to you. Cool. Uh, yeah, knowing Disney it would be something like, I oh, know, we we need him for the copyright law, right? <laughs> So if he's still alive, then he can still claim copyright on the things, and we can keep it for a thousand years, not Jesus. just the hundred we've already extorted oh from the my government. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, no. Uh, so at least that dystopian timeline is probably not available to them. <laughs> Hopefully, let's hope. Uh, yeah, wouldn't put it past Disney. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. But the thing is, no. like in the cases of those um, cryopreservation of the the human t uh, tissues, like did they, don't they didn't they like flush the 
water out initially with some sort of like um, cryopreservants? Like yeah, so that's um, like so. I think it's, uh, some of the people who have like I don't know the best bet, I uh-huh. suppose, at maybe being able to be successfully defrosted, are the ones where they um, they basically they chop your head off and they plug antifreeze into the circulation mm-hmm. and then they try and freeze your head real quick <laughs> wow it sounds sounds nuts but yeah that's that's pretty much the deal um uh, yeah we're literally are going to live in the fallout um universe where you have robot brains just for driving around people's brains put in the robot to to interact with mm. others man that's weird <laughs> yeah I mean, it, it, it's it, it's uh, like it's certainly a better bet than at, at being resurrected at some point than just dying and not having your head frozen. I suppose. I guess. I don't know <laughs> if it's better, but you know what? You know, let's. let's... <laughs> I've considered signing up for for cryonics, but at the moment, I just don't think they're quite there yet. Please, Richard, don't. It's probably not worth it yet. Some things there's there's you know as a scientist I understand that we sort of in a way fight against nature in a way in, in certain cases, but I think there's a certain mm. order to things you know and there's no need for living longer than hundred years. Uh, I very much disagree. Ah, uh. <laughs> aging biology, right? It's the whole. I know, project. I know, you're working on aging biology, but at the same time, I feel like uh, I don't know. Yeah, well, we can get into the whole uh, debate later. Death and ethics at another time. Absolutely, <laughs> just a whole episode of us arguing about why preparing. Why you know we could actually make a debate of like you go for, I go mm. against, and see how what you know conclusion we can come sure. to. I mean, an interesting <laughs> um, conversation. Um, so uh, one other thing that occurred to me during that whole process is there mm-hmm. is a very fun series of novels. That if you enjoy this, I suspect you may also enjoy. Uh-huh. Uh Called um, the Bobbyverse books by Dennis E. Taylor, mm-hmm. um, which uh, feature a, a to try and be spoiler free a character for whom the cryopreservation thing is relevant. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's a uh, th- that's very fun. Uh, I strongly recommend it. Absolutely, uh, I will to check it out. But uh, bringing things back a, a little bit. To yeah, yeah, the, go on. Uh, uh, the uh, subject at hand, um, like hypothermia in surgery, whilst it has specific applications for cooling you down to protect you from uh, damage resulting mm-hmm. from lack of oxygen affecting your tissues, especially your brain, uh, is. Um, used in particular surgical applications like I said but for the most part hypothermia during surgery is a bad thing Um, especially like mild hypothermia if you're just a couple degrees cooler Mm -hmm. than you're supposed to be then there's some potentially problematic side effects so uh, and that's relatively easy to to miss Um, so keeping it like it's a thing that anesthesiologists keep an eye on is how what your temperature is and for the most part uh, I think it's probably a lot more common for people to be warmed up to keep them at the right temperature during thir- surgery than it is for them to be uh, cooled down for uh, complicated cardiac surgeries. Is there, um, is there any particular reason that people investigate why just cooling a few degrees down is um, causing issues? 
Um, it seems to be there's a whole host of side effects from oh, okay. just being a little bit hypothermic. Um, various, like, um, I can't remember off the top of my head now, but there's, uh, when I was looking at an article, they had a whole list of, like, adverse events of varying types. You know, it's like we. Okay, okay. There's American drug commercials that list off every side effect under the sun at the end of the thing <laughs> in a super fast voice. Right? It's like, right. <laughs> it was like that. It's just like all kinds of weird shit goes wrong if you get a little bit cold during surgery. Um, Interesting. Apparently. Okay. Yeah. I you know it's it's surprising because I always felt like when you go to a hospital and they made you you know put a gown on and you just lay down, mm. it's always freaking cold in those rooms, and it's just yeah. like, yeah. how do you keep me warm if I'm feeling freezing in here mm. i think that's one of the things that's that's the problem is if the operating room is a bit cool mm-hmm. then you know the way that you're typically positioned in surgery is not really conducive to keeping you warm so yeah having like uh, some extra blankets and some heating stuff to keep you at the right temperature is a it's a thing that is done mm, interesting I, I wasn't aware that there was issues if your body like goes you know a few degrees down that you know i thought it wouldn't matter uh, but then here again, I wasn't aware of this. That's interesting. Yeah. Thanks for letting me know. Yeah, so is that all? Really is that either. all of those the, um, potential side effects in the article you linked in the notes? Uh, no. So that that one was a bit more focused on surgical applications of um, uh, cooling you down. Um, okay. Mostly on the cardiac stuff, but the side effect stuff. Um, there were a few different articles that I saw. Uh, just sort of skimmed the abstract of while I was googling. Okay, for, I'll uh, have a look as well. Thermia-related biology later on for mm-hmm. references for everyone. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, should we continue? Because this chapter is actually pretty yeah. short. Um, we managed to squeeze a nice mm-hmm. tan- tangent into a conversation um, in here. <laughs> yep, I thought it was a short chapter, so a brief diversion into cryobiology would be fun. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> So yeah, so in the chapter we, as we said, you know, giving a bit of, um, returning a bit of honor to Gabe. You know, it's understandable. He saw Tate, you know, um, uh, Akin being attached to Tate, Tate being called. So obviously it's normal, you know, I would panic. You know, if I saw, you know, my fiance or any friends like, you know, in this position and being an impatient man myself, I can imagine, you know, doing mm-hmm. something like this but then again i do hope that i have a bit more you know you know brain cells in my head that would you know thinking uh it could be dangerous for for the person lying there so maybe i should just let them finish but here again i give a bit of honor back to gabe you know <laughs> uh, but yes so he initially tried to pull tate away uh which stirred akin a bit but boy was too focused on her to realize what is really happening and well, I said that, you know, uh, I give honor back to Gabe, but when he does, what he just does now is just fucking stupid, which is he then decides, instead of pulling Akin away, um, because he was obviously afraid of getting stung, he will punch the boy instead, way, knowing well that Akin is connected to Tate. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> that man is yeah. just... Uh, so, and this is a short excerpt from the book. The first blow all but tore Akin loose. It hurt him more than he had ever been hurt. And he could not help passing some of his pain onto Tate. Like, mm-hmm. 
they were this close, this close from, well, Tate fell while the king fell, which is, I'm sure she's gonna rip Gabe another one. But two, they were just this close from poisoning Tate. Yeah. But Akin, the legend he is, did not do it. Like, he um, he did not know when you know, Tate began to scream and just automatically held to her. But luckily for all, thanks to Akin's strength, he was able to withdraw from Tate's nervous system without any injury, without injuring her or worse, killing her. Like, mm. you know, it, it, as the book says, it was an amazing feat that a normal Onkali was not capable of, as often told by his Akjay teacher. Um, mm. So well done to him that he didn't just poison Tate while Gabe was fucking punching him in the head. Yep, and we've like discussed before that his like sensory tentacle thing, his, his tongue is like super sensitive. Yes, and, and it has those you know long filaments that he's like effectively putting into tape to intervene in her biology. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Gabe comes along and just like yanks on that thing super hard. Is this like pulling on your nerve? Oh uh, God. Yeah. Ugh. That's uh. Yeah. Like, I I imagine, like, you know, when you have the funny nerve in your elbow and you hit yourself, like, imagine it, like, a thousand times uh, worse. Yeah. Hmm. Jesus. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, manages not to kill her and isn't seriously injured. But, yeah, this is where the chapter ends, where, you know, whatever disconnect, uh, happened um, after disconnecting is unknown because Akin just goes completely unconscious uh, straight after. Hmm. Yeah, I think we... Doesn't he say something about having a, a gap in his memory at this point? Yeah. Which is like very unusual for the old Carly. Yeah. But yeah, it's just like like the man, like honestly, Gabe, come on, like y- y- you were told one thing by two people, you know, uh, people actually well, Tate who he really cares about and Nakin who actually does mm. care about Gabe, and yet the man is just a stubborn ass. Yeah, uh, it's just mistrustful of Akin's motives and the whole process of healing Tate and scared and doesn't really know what's going on so yeah but knows I mean, that it, it knows that if he disturbs Akin she, he could stung him but it never goes through his head that it, he, Akin could stung, uh, sting Tate like you what mate like you really uh, I mean I think you might also have been worried about that, but it, it's yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I don't get it. Yeah, I, yeah. So if they they say you know give us the time to finish the process, and it just doesn't. Mm. So. Yeah. So should we go to the chapter four predictions then? To uh... sure. So I thought that one Tate is going to destroy Gabe, like rip him another one. Uh, for doing exactly the opposite opposite thing she told him to do. Hmm. Um, but the thing is, while it's happening to Akin, like boy went completely unconscious, and I thought maybe that I wasn't sure, but like I sort of had this like weird feeling that maybe because of the um, stress caused what Gabe did. Maybe Akin will undergo like forced uh, metamorphosis, like mm. you know, like he's gonna. Does this unconsciousness leads to like the body just switching off and to, to go undergo metamorphosis? But mm. 
like ahead of time, like no, like something that wasn't supposed to happen until a bit later, not not far much later, but because of the sudden like um, you know, uh, mm. trauma, the body deci- yeah, yeah. decides mm. to like you know protect itself and just you know goes haywire. Yeah, and you're, you're correct about that. Pretty much, we we get uh, him into metamorphosis. But yeah, honestly, it, it's just like uh, I, I had this this feel weird feeling that it might happen sometime soon. Um, mm. Although I thought that maybe it's not gonna happen until later, towards the end of the book, in fact. But here here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose they have been kind of um, they talk about the fact that he's not um, a full adult Owen Carly quite a lot. Yes. So a bit of uh, foreshadowing for this yeah uh, metamorphosis yeah yeah so yeah so let's begin chapter 4 summary then i guess um mm-hmm. so we don't know how much time has passed since uh, akin fell unconscious um but the chapter starts with the boy being awake but unable to move or communicate with the outside world um he was just lying down, uh, unable to move, but aware that there was humans around him. Well, first of all, some someone around him, but then he realized that it's the humans that he was, uh, that were, you know, the, the village of humans. And they stayed with him, sometimes talked, uh, but never touched him. Initially, hmm. he wasn't sure who they were. He felt that se- uh, the same way as he did during the infancy stage. So when he was still in um, inside of Lilith, right? Um, yes, he was. Yes, yeah, so. Lilith was his was, mother. Yes, sorry, it's just a bit yeah, of a brain yeah, fart. So still rem- remembering, uh, like, con- like we we start out right at the very beginning of the book. He's like remembering what's going on while he was in the womb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he couldn't, you know, do anything, but he could remember. Uh, but where he could remember it, but could not take part of any of it. Um, eventually he made a connection of who those humans were, you know, the first two were females, one small and yellow-haired and pale, and the other slightly larger, dark-haired and sun-browned. Simultaneously, he was glad that they were with him, and feeling dread when they were coming in to visit him. Why? Because the women aroused him. Their scent reached deep into him and drew him to them. That's the book say, what the book says. Yet he could not move. He lay being drawn and drawn and utterly still. It was a torment, but he preferred it to solitude. I feel like Akin is developing mm. some sort of fetish in here. <laughs> uh, yeah, his uh, his whole like sexual maturation process has been um, <laughs> complicated. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to say at least. Uh, oh man. Yeah. Um, eventually he figured out who they were. Uh, one was Yori and the other was Tate. Uh, obviously it must have been some time that passed because Tate would visit him and speak of, um, her crops growing and what different people in the settlements were doing. She would do her sewing and writing while she was sitting with Akin, uh, you know, writing, keeping a journal. Yori, who was also coming to visit him, you know, kept, a journal as well by herself, but it was more of a study journal of Akin's metamorphosis, um, because she never witnessed one, but she heard that Onkali undergo um, this process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she was um, a psychiatrist, right? So she had a medical yeah background. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but it's interesting to to have the a little bit of um, 
flipping the script there, right? You got humans studying the Oan Kali yeah. for a change. But, uh, yeah, 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 not not a common opportunity for them, I suppose. Absolutely. Especially um, um, for a Onkali that's like Akin, basically perfectly looking um, human, and then mm-hmm. he started to you know change physically. So that's that's um, I, I'm sure it's like interesting observation to take place, like you know, like a caterpillar creating a cocoon and then becoming a butterfly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, especially unusual for a resistor, right? Because yeah. I assume the humans who have joined the Oankali would have opportunity to see this stuff, but then. But not them, because especially like because it. especially these guys, if like mm-hmm. most some of them were you know from the group that Lilith walking up, and mm-hmm. then I think she walking up another few groups afterwards. So who knows, like you know what um, they they probably didn't see much. Except for, you know, suddenly the Onkalia appear and they're like, oh, Lilith isn't actually the evil thing and she doesn't make shit up. So it's, yeah. So they probably didn't experience what Lilith did when, with Nikanj, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, so we are told that Akin's physical appearance changed. Like he grew small sensory tentacles on his back, head and legs. His skin was gray and his hair was falling out. Yuri would tell him that he needs to find a way to tell them if he wishes to be touched. She told Akin that Tate was feeling fine, but he needs to find a way to communicate with them. But until then, he will not be left alone and she would see that someone was always with him. That statement really comforted Akin because people undergoing metamorphosis had little tolerance for solitude. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, quality of the Oankali metamorphoses. I think typically in like insects and stuff when they're undergoing metamorphosis you know they like go off and form a cocoon on their cocoon or something like that on their own and just do the thing Um, but it seems like the the Owen Carly really like psychologically like to have people around them it's it's odd because they seem to have this uh almost like um locked in syndrome like yeah state when they're going through their metamorphosis right they a lot of the time they're sleeping but a lot of the time they're conscious but can't do anything absolutely but they don't really have any particular physical needs during that time either so it's, it's a strange uh strange collection of qualities and the thing is is that um we know about this because Lilith, when Nikanji was undergoing metamorphosis, she stayed with him hmm. pretty much all the time. And then when Dichan and Agjai came in, um, hmm. Nikanj, uh, Nikanji's um, partners, that's when they all, you know, like, um, you know, were staying all together. So it's interesting, like, um, to see the fact that, you know, what's interesting then for me is because obviously Uloi has already partners picked but like I wonder what about like males and females like do they go undergo metamorphosis the pure Kali undergo metamorphosis by themselves with their family like you know their parents or what like we don't really know right we're not told about this at all Um, well I think the I think Akin is probably doing what would be a fairly male typical metamorphosis for an Oankali here. Mm. So I'm assuming he would have a similar, or they would have a similar situation to him of wanting someone present. Yeah. 
Well, hmm. anyway, continuing on, um, you know, people coming, you know, um, visit him. Even Gabe came to see him. I mean, he tried to tempt Akin <laughs> with food and water. You know, sometimes he would bring things that Akin liked, like, you know, um, plants and stuff like that Akin used to eat as a kid. And it made really Akin glad that, you know, Gabe re- remembered. Um, but that's not what Akin needed at that moment. Usually he would have eaten a lot before his metamorphosis starts. By this point, as it was undergoing, he would not need any sustenance. Um, he, Akin heard from Lilith that Uloi did not need to sleep during their second metamorphosis, whereas males and females did, without the need of eating, drinking, urinating, or defecating. The only thing that stirred were Akin were women. <laughs> Why, man? Mm. Yeah, it's uh, interesting that uh, so he's, he's able to undergo this metamorphosis despite the fact that he's a bit low on nutrients, yeah. it seems. Uh, and that, that is an interesting one. It does seem like, um, so uh, when insects undergo metamorphosis, it seems as though they have they eat, eat, all the resources eat, eat, eat. they need, right? Yeah. They, 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 I, I don't actually know what they... Um, what they typically use to to store up energy. I, I don't know if they have like lipids or um, like um, uh, some sugar based uh, complex sugar based store. Uh, but yeah, I assume they must stock up on a bunch of uh, a bunch of stuff ready for the metamorphosis. I mean, you know, it must be some sort of like fat tissue type of uh, thing because you know you look at caterpillars; they eat, 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 and they get fatter and fatter and fatter until they barely can mm-hmm. move, and then they make cocoons and then gooify themselves and become you know whatever they are uh, aim to become to. So, hmm. I suppose you might also get some like glycogen, you know, something like that, mm. in addition to a lipid store. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. Fill that one up. So, as the time was passing, uh, one day Akin received a sudden, sh- uh, sudden shock when Gabe touched him. There was no warning, as is typical for Gabe, to come and do something. He placed his hands on Akin and shook him, and after a moment, Akin shuddered and his small, new small sensory, tentary, sensory tentacles um, reached out towards the hand. Um, Gabe jumped away and never touched Akin again. Like... <sighs> again... You had one job. Yes. <laughs> I know. Why, Gabe? Why? I know. Some other people visited Akin. You know, Pillar and Matteo Lille, Tino's parents. Akin was immensely uncomfortable with Matthias' presence because he killed people with whom Akin cared for a lot. But eventually he realized and, you know, adjusted to it. Um, that's literally what the book says, you know, like, no. Uh, yeah. I thought that one was a bit. Uh, it was it's interesting because it's it reflects on, like you know, I think the the people who Matteo killed are Galt and Kalik. Yes, the guys who kidnapped Akin. Exactly. So, <laughs> um, but people about whom he cared. So I mean, Stockholm syndrome is real. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting re- reflection on because he did also actually genuinely seem to care to some degree. I think especially for for Kalik, if I remember rightly. I think but, Galt was yeah. the one who actually um, really took care of the of the boy. Kalik uh, became friend friendlier later on, but like I think it was Galt that was actually. Uh, I think yeah, Galt was Galt the one who he kind of like scared when he killed the Aguti. 
was he? I thought that was someone else. I thought God. No, I think he, 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 if I remember correct, I can't remember which one was which, if it was Gold or Kalik. But, you know, there was one who was kind of close with, who was carrying him properly and so on. Yes. And then he, like, but uh, you know, for some got scared him. Yeah. And then he became closer with the other one. Yes, um, but, like, I remember the. I think, because Kalik's name is so um, unique, I remember that, mm. um, like, Kalik was nice to Akin. I know, I can't remember. Like, at this point, like, I'm, mm. I'm not certain. It doesn't matter, I guess. Yeah, but it's... I forget. I think it was. I think it was those two in those roles. But I forget which way around it was. My memory was was Galt first, mm-hmm. then Kalik, But I might be wrong. No. But yeah. But yeah. Anyway, I just, uh, thought I'd uh, yeah. remark on the fact that uh, the people about whom Akeem cared a lot where they were uh, his kidnappers in quotes were his kidnappers. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure that's the. You, you, uh, I mean. It's 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 kind of nice that that you, nice. you care as much as you do Akeem. Yeah. But, uh, like you know careful <laughs> yeah um but yeah the other people who'd visit him was like colina wilton um but she never spoke to him uh macy wilton came which surprised the king he thought that the, the drawing didn't do anything but drink and you know lie somewhere in a ditch um mm. macy would come and carve things from wood and talk to king about Amalskacht and you know discuss things about moss um, stuff like and stuff like that. Yeah, so we, that's where we we get that first uh, indication that uh, uh, Tate's told other people about yep. Mars. Yep. And it, it might even be that Macy, uh, uh, the the drunk, is uh, you know get get himself together. Yeah. Because of the opportunity, hope the the possibility yeah. of Mars. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the chapter ends exactly with Macy saying that not everyone wants to go, but he thinks that they are crazy to stay here when there is an opportunity to preserve the species. And don't you worry about the others. And once again, I can begin to worry. <laughs> I just love this, this passage in the book. And like, and don't you worry about the others, Macy says. And hmm. at once, I can begin to worry. It's a, yeah. a comedic, comedic <laughs> timing, honestly. Yeah, and it, it fits very well with uh, just you know life, right? You, you you tell someone, don't worry about it. Immediately you start worrying. It immediately makes them worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Uh, but yeah. you know the fact that humans were refusing to go and live meant that they would disagree and sometimes fight, leading to killing each other. So that's what I can not want uh, to happen but unfortunately there was no way to speed up the matter- metamorphosis and Akin could only wait and this is where the chapter ends basically hmm. yep I gotta wait with the the prospect that people might be killing over one another over whether or not to go to Mars man honestly yeah. like but that's very human like to like you know resist um, to the last man standing yep mm. although I mean it's a. I can certainly see why people in this case would be mistrustful of the Orankali and and not willing to give up Earth, but at the same time, this the like yeah, it, it's it's definitely one that would produce dissent, right? They're, they're going to disagree about that. People are going to be uh, trusting them enough to to relocate to Mars and give it a try because it's the only opportunity they've got, and then other people are just going to be like. No, we're not giving the benefit of the doubt. Um, we want Earth. Uh, yeah, although that camp is 
I don't think gonna do well. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, let I mean you know, it's it's interesting because. You know, like I was predicting so far about like, oh, there's gonna, definitely gonna be some sort of civil war between the mm. resistors and the. Now my idea is like, now it's gonna be a civil war between the resistors, the camp that wants to go to Mars, versus the ones that wants to stay on Earth, and basically the ones who want to stay on Earth that either will keep raiding the ones going to Mars to prevent them to going, and also fighting the Onkali to like to, as you said, to the last man standing. So. Mm. Yeah, so interesting actually. I suppose that that makes for a, a potentially more um, more interesting conflict, right? Mm-hmm. Because if it's just they try and rebel against the Onkali, they get squished immediately, more or less, right? They can't really build any tension around that. Yeah. So, what are your uh, predictions for chapter five? Um, I feel that I thought that in chapter five. Finally, Akin can wake up from his metamorphosis, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. to, to actually, well, regain the control over his body. And even though he was told, you know, like, um, how much he has changed by Yori, for example, you know, seeing yourself in the f- uh, in the, um, mirror is a completely different thing. So I feel like, you know, he's going to be like, like, uh, he's going to have a shock. Of how much he changed, but at the same time, knowing Akin, he's gonna be like, okay, things are getting uh, bad because probably people are like, you know, not wanting to, uh, or like, this, as I said, there's gonna be some conflicts and disagreements mm-hmm. between people that want to go to Mars versus that want to stay on Earth. So he will be not wasting any time and try to get people, you know, convince people to uh, go to Mars. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you you remarked earlier on his uh, like his appearance was changing quite a lot. Yeah. And did do you think how much do you think that's going to uh, impact his his thinking about his ability to convince the humans? Uh, more that's a good question. That's a good question. Like, it definitely is going to affect like the, his rela- reliability at this point because you know with him being a human when looking like human was a massive advantage, right? The only thing that was not human-like was his tongue which was easily hidden right mm. Mm. but at this point like he's basically an onkali trying to convince people to become you know to to go join uh go to mars like mm. yeah, yeah so he's gonna wake up and be like god damn it i look like a freaking creepy but tentacled space alien yep. at the worst possible moment <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. Good question, and I feel mm. like it's gonna definitely impede in his um, efforts. It's gonna be like mm. okay, serious problem. So yeah. Very well. I guess that's mm. that's it for today. Um, relatively short uh, episode. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Re- two relatively short chapters. I think the next one's a bit longer. Yeah. Um, I have to check the the numbers again. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Oh, I I I had uh, one more little reference to throw in Go here, on. that i recalled from earlier because and we we talked about the de- the debate about uh like uh, uh you know living forever or whether or not that's a good uh-huh. idea uh i have to throw in the reference to uh chapter 39 if i remember correctly off the top of my head of harry potter and the methods of rationality <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> 
which uh, summarizes my thoughts very well on that subject, actually. <laughs> if you're unfamiliar with that Harry Potter fan fiction... Oh, you then, need um, to read it. It's... It, it, yeah. 10 out of 10 if you like this podcast there is an extremely high probability you will enjoy it. yeah absolutely it's it's 10 out of 10 type of thing although yeah, yeah. great great comedy yeah as well as um uh, good sciencey stuff and uh solid science yeah, like there's a, solid solid yeah. like explanation to things too as well so yeah and uh, a rich collection of uh, references to various aspects of uh culture <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, with a little bit of sat- satire and deconstruction and much else no, there's a good audiobook uh, version as well mm. so gotta gotta recommend that as a uh, gotta plug that at least once because <laughs> <laughs> we've not done that since like a little while yes it came up in the first episode because it, it was one of the things that inspired this yes absolutely absolutely but yeah Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. We are Xenothesis. You can find all the pl- places we upload our podcast on xenothesis.com. I was Michael Glinka. Yeah, I was Rich Jackson. Goodbye. Goodbye.